Hello, 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 and welcome everybody to our fourth episode of Fresh Off the Press presented by Blue Manatee Press. My name is, of course, Chase Osborne, and I'm your host with the most, and I'm proudly the marketing manager for Blue Manatee Press. We have another great guest today, a slightly different guest than we've had previously. We've been talking with our authors and illustrators thus far, but what about someone else who's important to the publishing industry? I'll announce her really soon, but first I just want to introduce Blue Manti Press. We are a press with a purpose. Founded in Cincinnati, Ohio in 2011 by Dr. John Hutton, Blue Manti Press has been on a mission to create meaningful and enduring books that help bring grown-ups and children together. Owned and helmed by a pediatrician, our team consists of experts in child development, fine art, and children's literature. We proudly publish original children's books that utilize a variety of artistic media and strive to create stories that are both educational and fun, with an emphasis on turning off screens and experiencing the world through hands-on creative play. We encourage you to go to our website, www.bluemanatypress.com, to learn more about us, as well as learn about our authors and illustrators and explore our library of fun books to purchase for the little one in your life. Check out some of our renowned titles like our DR, that is Dialogic Reading and Baby Unplugged Board Book Series, or picture books like Odd Animal ABCs, Zookeeper, or even our 2019 Kids Fall Indie Next List title, Mr. Pumpkin's Tea Party, and 2020 Spring Kids Indie Next List title, Little Monster Trucks Go. Just released this week is Baby Baby Monster, written by our guests on the last episode, debut author Andrea Pfeiffer, and illustrated by the talented Aaron Barker. Two scientists have created a monster, but what happens next would be their greatest experiment yet. Order Baby Monster today online or by visiting your local area independent bookstore. Again, visit us online at www.bluemanatypress.com or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube at Blue Manatee Press. Today is Thursday, November 19th, and we have a very special guest with us here. She is actually my boss, our editor and marketing director, and honestly, the captain that keeps this entire ship sailing, Amy Dean. If you're an author or illustrator who's worked with us, then you've definitely met Amy before. If you're a new, aspiring author or illustrator, Amy is who you'll be talking to. You'll get to know her, don't worry. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the entire early editorial process to creating a great picture book, from submission to printing. What is the submission process like for new creators? What sticks out the most to someone like Amy when submitting a draft? How long does the entire process take? Spoiler! Publishing a book is going to take a little longer than you're probably guessing. With over a decade of experience operating an entire publisher, literally doing it all, from editing to sales to marketing, there's literally no one better to discuss an overview of the industry than with our guest today. So without further ado, Fresh Off The Press presents to you an interview with Amy Dean. Enjoy. All right, everybody, for today's podcast, we have my boss, the editor and marketing director for Blue Manatee Press, Amy Dean. Hi, Amy. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful morning, nice and sunny and cold. Yeah, it was chilly, but it's sunny. My office is glaring. Yeah, our office is like kind of like all white, like everything's really reflective. And so you can really tell when it's a sunny day. Wakes you up. That's right. So Amy's been with Blue Manti Press for a while now. When did you start? <laughs> I would say I started in a more of a part-time role, sort of as a consultant. And um, we used to be affiliated with the children's bookstore, and I would work in the bookstore as well. Um, that was probably, oh man, 12, 13, 14 years ago. Is that right? Oh my goodness. Yeah, about 12 years ago, let's say. Put it in perspective, uh, I was still in high school, y'all. 
<laughs> well, that, I mean, I don't think that was necessary to say. <laughs> uh, yeah, but about 12 years ago, I came on as a, in a part-time role, if you will, of uh, mainly just was excited to be around children's books. And as it turns out, uh, the owner of the bookstore, Dr. John Hutton, uh, was looking to move into the publishing world. And I had a background in publishing from a from previous work. And so I sort of just sort of unofficially gave him some suggestions on what would need to be in place to turn it from kind of a dream or, or a hobby, if you will, to full time. And he took it and ran with it. And fortunately, a few years after that, I was able to come back full time. Yeah, that's great. Um, so Dr. Hutton was originally self-publishing, correct? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny because in the publishing world, there are a lot of, um, you know, semantics and nuances and right. the different terms. Um, but yes. Um, and by that, I think probably a fairer way of saying was he didn't have an outside distributor right. because he had the bookstore. He was able to place his titles in the bookstore and grow an audience, um, especially some of his titles with the Baby Unplugged series started with sort of a health literacy theme, the mm. idea to be screen free. Um, and we should mention the doctor part of Dr. Hutton <laughs> yeah. is that he's a practicing pediatrician as well as the director of the Literacy Research Center at Sunny Children's Medical Center. So he was really keen to get those books, you know, in kids' hands. And he was able to, because the books uh, were really well done, he was able to connect with a distributor, independent publishers group based out of Chicago. And that's when we started having national distribution and we needed to kind of, you know, start treating it in a very professional manner. Right, right. Before working for Blue Manti Press, or I guess Blue Manti Books, or while you started part-time, you were a teacher. Yeah, What that's was your right. focus? Like, what grades were you teaching? <laughs> so, yeah, I have kind of a, you know, weird little path to my career. Um, <laughs> Haven't I, we all by now? <laughs> <laughs> the full story is I actually graduated with an degree in English literature. I went to a publishing graduate program at the Denver Publishing Institute immediately following graduation. Um, from there, I moved to Cincinnati and took a job as a buyer for another independent uh, bookstore lo here local to Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't quite sold if, on if I wanted to have an office job or not. As much as I loved what I did, I was like, mm, I'm not so sure. So I actually went back to school and got my master's in education. And yes, I was a teacher for a while. So I worked in the bookstore part-time. I also did tutoring. And then I started in some private schools doing some mm -hmm. preschool. Um, but really my license was in grade seven through 12 English language arts. And so that's what I started doing, teaching high school while I was kind of, you know, sort of on the sidelines of seeing yeah. the press grow. It's actually funny. I feel like a lot of people kind of go through that phase where once they finish college, I I mean, I did when I first finished college. You maybe get a start in an office job and then you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to work an office job. You know, maybe you grew up seeing your parents work like the nine to five and come home and eventually you do find your way back to an office job. Thankfully, I enjoy my office job right now. So I, I <laughs> well, don't feel like you know, no pressure. Don't feel like you have yeah, to. Yeah, I that. am talking to my boss right now, but no, it is compared to one that I've worked in the past that I did see myself like turning into my dad a little bit. Like, you know, I was working because I had to make the money and that was it. But like, I do enjoy going to work and I enjoy coming home and getting to talk with my girlfriend about what's happening or what we did or, you know, baby monster coming out that we're all finally like excited for. 
because it's finally <laughs> right? coming out. Yeah, and you know, this has of course been a super super weird year. I'm stating the obvious there, of course, but um, checks yeah, notes. It, um, <laughs> COVID nineteen happened this year. It's been a long year. Yeah, it, this year has just been all over the map in every way possible. And as all businesses have had to deal with this, mm -hmm. um, you know, we've seen some hiccups with production schedules and distribution outlets maybe not being in their traditional form as right. unfortunately some bookstores have had to close or switch to online models. Um, so, you know, we're doing our best to pivot, but it does make for, you know, an unusual uh, time right now. Right. I guess kind of snowballing off of what you just said about some publishers maybe switching more to online formats. I guess explain for people who may be looking for our books but can't find them online. Explain the reasoning why, for the most part, we stay away from online books. Well, so to clarify, our books are available for purchase online, meaning you correct, could, yeah, through you know any online um, e-commerce site, you know, like um, your favorite indie bookstores, shopping cart, or Barnes and Noble, or yes, Amazon. Um, <laughs> you can find our books for purchase, just like you can find books for purchase anywhere. But more specifically, Chase, I think what you're getting at is that we don't do eBooks. Correct. That's um, not, I couldn't think of the word. I was just thinking yes. online books. Yeah, eBooks. eBooks, which is, you know, there are electronic versions that you that you download um, onto whatever uh, digital reading device you use. And I think they have their place. Um, mm -hmm. I can understand why some people might gravitate towards that. But for us, because we focus on children's books, while certainly eBooks for children exist, mm -hmm. I think there is still most people want to, you know, have a child on their lap and right. it's really good for kids to just interact with the book. And by right. that, I mean, like literally turn the pages and hold it and that tactile feeling of the book itself. And then beyond that, and you know, if you have uh, Dr. John on here, he can certainly explain this much better than I can, but mm -hmm. there is definite research. And in fact, it is Dr. Hutton's, uh, Dr. John Hutton's research that, you know, I think I think we could all, those of us who value reading and, and put it high in our everyday lives could probably always assume that right. maybe there was something, for lack of a better word, a little bit off about excessive screen time at mm -hmm. an early age. And basically it, it comes down to that, yes, it turns out that's true. If you want kids to really have language development, um, and even I think cooler, the ability, you know, for the parts of the brain that suggest imagery. So mm -hmm. in other words, imagination, the ability to picture in your mind's eye what you're reading, that comes from reading an actual book and not right. so much having a screen in front of you that is actively kind of bells and whistles presenting the imagery for you. And I, and I realize picture books have illustrations mm -hmm. but there's something about it still leaves room for imagination because it's not so what do I want to say just almost like overwhelming with all the you know touch this point right. you know do this sounds whistles bells etc especially with all the books that we focus on which are dialogic reading books where we right. want the kids to be engaged Right. So I think, again, those of us who maybe come from an educator background or, you know, are, are super in love with books, mm -hmm. it might come natural to us to automatically ask questions, expansion questions on the right. books that we read. Have, has this happened to you? <laughs> Have you seen a dog do that before? Or what does this remind you of? Those kinds of prompts, you know, but for a lot of grownups, that's not a natural fit. That's not something that they might immediately occur to them to do. So they're there is um, something called dialogic reading. Um, sometimes it's called close reading. But the idea is that you, during the course of the story, with your sort of shared reading partner, so in, le 
in this case, let's assume a grown up and a, and a child, you're essentially having a conversation or dialogue, hint, hint, mm-hmm. dialogic, <laughs> that lends itself to deeper literacy development as you really kind of interact with the text. All right. So moving on, you are our editor. Um, You've been through this process for quite a while. For new authors and illustrators who may be listening to this podcast, they may be wondering, so I want to submit my story. I think I have a great story idea. I'm going to submit it to you. Tell us about that submission process as well as what sticks out to you the most. What's going to grab your attention? Sure. Uh, So yeah, the submissions process is definitely the first step. Different publishers have different methods of how they will accept submissions. Many larger publishers require it come that your submission is what's called an agented agented uh, <laughs> submission, meaning that you're not the one submitting it directly. It's actually going through your agent and the agent is pitching it to the publishing house. Mm-hmm. However, we accept that, but we also do what are known, and this isn't perhaps the nicest term, but it's <laughs> called unsolicited submissions, meaning that anyone is welcome to submit their idea for a book. And on our website, uh, bluemantipress.com, uh, we do have a section of submission guidelines Mm -hmm. that spells out very clearly um, how to submit what is essentially a manuscript query is what it's called, meaning you're pitching your idea. And the things to do for that or what would be involved in that is the best draft of your text. Mm -hmm. It's also important to be thinking about probably the most important thing ahead of the draft (laughs) is market research. So are, you know, I know it's really, you have an idea and you're really in love with it and you're like, this is just awesome. You know, I hesitate to say this (laughs) without sounding super cynical, but no, um, you're the editor. Say it. Odds are that idea already exists. That's okay. That's where market research comes into play. (laughs) So you need to kind of be thinking about what books are already on the market that are like yours. Those are called comp titles, you know, comparable titles that are Mm -hmm. similar in theme uh, or idea. And then think about how is yours different? How does it stand out from that? Or perhaps that idea has been done, but it's five, 10 years old or older. So now it's time for a fresh take. You know, it's okay if your idea is out there. You just need to kind of figure out how to position your title to just sort of make it have that little extra oomph. Why do we need another alphabet book (laughs) or Mm -hmm. whatever? What's your new take on it, your new spin? So comp titles and market research are very, very important. The next thing that I would say is super important is, you know, again, because we focus on children's books. And primarily we do uh, board books, which are for essentially ages zero. So <laughs> brand new babies to usually it kind of peters out around ages three or four. And then picture books, mm-hmm. which can really, again, also be for anyone. But for the most case, they r- range in age from three to eight. So, you know, we're not saying big, long texts <laughs> here. Lots and lots of words. Uh, no, no, no. Usually something that is sweet or excuse me, simple, kind of just kind of gets right to the heart. Those are things that you, know, you don't want to significantly draw out your story. As crazy you know. as it sounds for like maybe an author out there who wants to write a board book, I'd almost say if you can fit it into a tweet, you're at the right amount of characters for it. Yeah, board books are definitely not long. <laughs> and I should also maybe take this opportunity to clarify the difference between what we do with board books, which, you know, not to take a dig at other um, publishers, but board books are really key for the developmental age group that they're uh-huh. intended for. Kids that are that zero to three 
age group that are doing going through lots of literacy and literacy development and just developmental milestones in general in terms of learning to talk, learning language, mm-hmm. learning motor skills with being able to hold a book or turn a page. So board books really should be created in mind specifically for that age group. Right. And a lot of times board books, because they are quite expensive to make on the production side of things, a lot of times what happens is a publisher might take an existing long form picture book and just reformat it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that might be cute in terms of, hey, I have a cute little book that I can hold. But in terms of the content and the um, vocab and the amount of words, that's not always the best for the development. So right. we create original board books, meaning that the board books we're putting out were only ever intended to mm-hmm. be board books. Um, so yes, you do want shorter <laughs> text. And I will say too, I think sometimes writing any children's book, I think sometimes it gives off the idea of like, well, I could write that. That's easy. That's short. I could do that. And while Which yes, I'm guilty probably, of saying. <laughs> <laughs> which while yes, you probably could. The other thing to think about is that is not that many words to get your story across. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you really need to have a way with the, the story. You need to be able to reach a child, but not talk down to a child right um you know it it is not the easiest job in the world to write a children's book that is for sure it is as Um, we've uh talked about because i've kind of come up with this idea that i think could be a fun story that i really want to run with and develop a good story for it and i'll tell you what if you're a writer if you're used to writing especially if you've done like creative writing where you have to get really detailed and descriptive about things you have to find a way to not be so much of that like don't waste 200 words on just describing what the person looks like and how they feel so that's where you have to rely on your illustrator exactly trust Um, in them the whole you know i think a lot of us who maybe again have some sort of writing or literary background we're used to the idea of you know you need to be able to show with your writing right show don't tell and and all of that and Yes, that's true. But for children's books, it's a little less true because you will have illustrations Uh and you don't necessarily want the illustration to be just like an exact match of what the words say. Mm -hmm. Um, So you want to leave a little room for your illustrator to expand on what you've written. And that's the other part of the submissions process. This is actually um, a pretty big misconception for people who are just starting out with trying to get their book ideas out there. If you are not the artist for the book, absolutely, that's fine. Don't commission artwork from someone else. (laughs) No, no, no. Almost all publishers have basically, um, you know, a roster of illustrators that they often work with, or they have art directors and art departments who are maybe have a particular visual style that they're trying that they Mm -hmm. think goes well with your text. So they're going to place an illustrator with your work. Now, there are some people who are both the artist and illustrator, in which case you would submit your artwork samples as well. But if you're not the illustrator, just the text is fine. And then last thing, I know I've been going on and on about the submission process, but- Oh no, that's uh, what people are listening for. The other thing to really keep in mind, you know, we've talked about uh, the text and the ability to kind of speak to children and kind of reach them at their level. Mm -hmm. But there's also, um, these books are- definitely going to be read aloud. So you need to kind of think about the cadence 
of your text. Um, I'm not suggesting that it must be in rhyme, but <laughs> you can think about things of like syllable count. Definitely read your work out loud so you can kind of get a sense of how your words flow together. Mm-hmm. Is there, like I said, a type of rhythm or cadence? If the read aloud is hard and you kind of find yourself stopping and starting or stumbling over words unintentionally, <laughs> right. that's maybe, maybe, you know, you need to kind of revise what you've written then. Perfect. All right. So for anyone out there, you don't have to just be in Cincinnati to submit your writing to us. We do take submissions from around the country, from East Coast to West Coast. We work with authors and illustrators from all around, which is just honestly something that I'm, I really, really enjoy. I love working with a new author and kind of helping them develop their idea. And I guess that would lead us into the editorial process. But yeah, I, I love that. So yeah, let's talk about it. You're the editor. So working with authors and illustrators, now that it's submitted, you've picked it, what do you do from there? Um, picking what works in the book, what doesn't? Yeah. So, you know, after everyone's on the same page in terms of, you know, the book moving forward, and you know everyone is signed on the dotted line with the contracts yeah you do kind of have to as the editor probably the first thing and it's sometimes the hardest thing is going through first cuts mm-hmm. um going through and saying things like you know you you're a little wordy here or it gets a little repetitive there so we can kind of adjust that or lose that you know maybe We've got um, words that, again, while we don't want to walk down or, or, you know, lose opportunities for learning, you do still have to make sure that it's a word that either from context clues or, an, you know, an easy illustration that your reader is going to be able to gather what, you know, what that word means. So just, again, thinking about the development of the child, the other things sometimes, are, you know, always, this happens a lot with children's books. Um you know, people are always looking, that is authors are always thinking, oh, I, I want to put this really like wild idea in there or this really crazy quirky thing. <laughs> and, and that's, oh, they want their book wrong. to stand out. huh? Exactly. And there's nothing wrong with that. And in some cases, um, that kind of silly humor is definitely appropriate. But I always say you, if the book, all it does is lead to head scratching and question marks. And I'm not really sure what was going on there. That's not the type of like quirky and silliness and, you know, a uh, crazy story that you want. Right. You want to have some sort of something that's recognizable or relatable, something that's rooted in at least some level of reality. And then that's what makes the quirky joke work. That's mm-hmm. why it stands out as silly. So finding that balance of the humor, the other thing that's really hard and kind of comes into play with, um, the editorial process is thinking about writing for children, but children are not the ones buying the book. Mm-hmm. The adults are. So again, finding that balance of how do we make a story that some uh, appeals to an adult at least enough that they'll buy the book, uh, hopefully not roll their eyes when their child <laughs> asks to read it one more time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it is a it's a weird market that not everyone thinks about. You you need to make it appropriate for a child, something a child is going to enjoy and come back to again and again. But you also have to appeal to the parent who is the buyer of the book. And I think that's what's going to make a book like Baby Monster, which comes out November 17th, everybody. I think that that book is just as much for the parent as it is for the kid. I, I would agree with that. There's a lot of nods to new parenthood and the ups and downs of what might come with that. You know, and they're played for laughs, but I think I think any parent would be like, oh, yeah, <laughs> we've been there before. I've been there. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, taking it away from books for a moment, I mean, just 
think about anything that's made for kids, ones that do really well, like maybe a Pixar film, for instance, Mm -hmm. it does have a level of sophistication that, you know, works on one level super well for the kids. And then on another level where parents are enjoying it and laughing and, you know, and I think that aside from any sort of the developmental piece of it, that's kind of drives to the heart of what Blue Manatee, at least what our mission is. We're mm-hmm. all about shared reading moments. And by that, we mean like our yeah. greatest wish is that, you know, child and parent are reading together and enjoying right. that time together and having that bonding time. So aside from, you know, I, I know I was talking about the market and buying, but we also want that to be an enjoyable experience, one that right. they will repeat and continue. Love that. I mean, I don't even have a kid, but I love when I'm like over at it's it's essentially my girlfriend's little nephew named after her, but not nah, it's a it's a complicated story. But anyways, <laughs> he's a little kid. He loves reading. He loves whenever I come over and he picks out a book. It's typically Curious George. He's obsessed <laughs> with him. But he always picks out a book for me to sit down and read with him and we read through like two or three. And I'd love that. And I honestly can't wait to have kids because my family We didn't do much together. It gets into one of those, like, my dad wasn't really all that involved. But the one thing that was, like, guaranteed is when it was time to go to bed, we would hide under the blankets or in the closet and act like, oh, where'd we go? We disappeared, me and my sister. And my dad would come and find us and get us in bed and pick out a book. And the one constant was that he would read with us. I enjoy that Blue Manti really tries to inspire that to today's yeah. generation of parents. Yeah, I, I would say that's probably our two biggest things are making sure that every child has access, easy access to books. So we do do a lot of partnerships with nonprofits and literacy outreach groups. Again, trying to make sure that all communities of kids have access. But yeah, and then beyond that, it's yes, reading with your kids from day one or even, you know, pre-day one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, that is definitely what we are all about and what we love to see. Is there actually like a science that says that it does help develop, I guess, your child in your stomach by reading to them like while you're pregnant? Or is that just kind of to get you Um, in the rhythm of it or? Well, I think... I think it comes back to, you know, the baby going to come out of the womb talking. No. Right. But, right. But I do think it adds to, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not a doctor, uh, <laughs> but, um, and so I don't pretend to have super right. wealth of knowledge here, but, but yes, I think there are studies and suggestions that show anytime your baby can hear your voice, mm-hmm. whether that's singing a song, reading a story, you know, talking to your baby, if nothing else that increases a bond between yeah. parent and child. And so why not start with a book? Why not just make, just right from the go, make that a part of, you know, how you share moments with your child. And books are calming. If you want time to talk to your child, even in the womb, a lot of times reading a book is the best way because it's soothing, it's calming. I don't think anyone would disagree that books can inspire imagination and and make you think and, you know, are all sorts of fun. But yes, there is definitely... um a familiarity to that routine that lends itself to a calmness, uh, a quietness. You know, as much as I love TV and movies and, you know, once upon a time going to concerts. <laughs> Feels so long ago now. <laughs> um, books create a space, I think, for, like you said, some, some quiet, um, yeah. some, you know, like I said, some room to think. 
Uh, so speaking of books, you're working in books, talking about we love to read and everything. What book in your life, whether a children's book or not, helped develop your passion for books currently in publishing? <laughs> so, see, I knew this question was coming <laughs> and I honestly still still don't have an answer ready, huh? Well, so the thing is, I honestly don't remember a time not reading or being read to. It, it I was, could say the same. Yeah. I think there was never a question <laughs> right. that books would be such a huge part of my life. I was always surrounded by books. There's a picture of me at my, I believe it's my first birthday, and I'm sitting in like a little red wagon flipping through a book. And next to me are, you know, I must have had, I, <laughs> well, I know I had very generous family as a pile of gifts and toys. Oh. I'm looking at the book. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, things that come to mind just off the top of my head of books that just I distinctly remember would be, um, you know, The Giving Tree, uh, Great Chicka one. Chicka Boom Boom. You know, uh, I kind of forgot about Chicka Chicka Boom Boom. And then someone brought it up to me on my social media uh, because I shared, you know, we, we've been talking about through Blue Mantis social medias, books that helped develop us to who we are now. What was our favorite books as kids? And someone DM'd me and said, Chicka Chicka Boom Boom. I was like, you just unlocked a memory that I forgot I had. But suddenly I could almost, I guess, uh, like chicka, out chicka, of memory, boom, boom. Well <laughs> repeat the entire book. Yeah. Yeah. I always, sometimes just in my head <laughs> as just I don't know why but I'll just hear the chicka chicka boom boom will there be enough room I yeah oh, no, now I don't it's know stuck why, in but, my head <laughs> but yeah ch so chicka chicka boom boom uh the giving tree Winnie the Pooh and then as I got a little older Little Women A Tree Grows in Brooklyn Walk Two Moons by Sharon Creech was one of my all-time favorites that's uh, a great book yeah when I was in fourth grade I've read that so many times oh there was a book a little um, fact about that so Walk Two Moons inspired the name of the band Walk the Moon and really? Nick Patrika his mom was my seventh grade honors literature teacher um, Mrs. Patrika and she made us read Walk Two Moons we all loved it and then she had us listen to walk the moons like little this is back way before they got discovered they're making some really underground indie rock music this is like back in 2006 or 2007 so way before they got discovered but that's a fun little fact walk the moon from cincinnati inspired by walk two moons and his mom was my teacher honors literature at milford very cool I did not realize, I mean, I knew that they were local, but I didn't realize the connection of their name yeah. to Walk Two Moons. But yeah, that's a, that's a great book. And oh man, I could, you know, when I, there's a book called When I Was Young in the Mountains, uh -huh. which is one of my favorites, um, always makes me think of my great grandparents um, and the house that, where we would go visit them. That was uh, not so much in the mountains, but definitely kind of on the edge of like Ohio, right. West Virginia, you know, a big old farmhouse and one that kind of seemed a little frozen in time, which <laughs> <laughs> was very cool. I remember. Yeah, I was also. Oh man, Babysitters Club. I was. I was a card carrying member <laughs> of the Babysitters Club. I had a brief but intense two years or so of being just deeply, deeply obsessed with the Babysitters Club, which are definitely having a bit of a comeback right now. 
but yeah, I mean, I could go on and on Jane Austen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I definitely, I would say lean towards classics right now. I'm in a bit of a short story pick. Yeah. Basically there's not too many books that I, I won't read. And I always, I, when I was a teacher, I used to give students what I called like the three chapter rule. Cause you know, I worked with a lot of maybe reluctant readers in my classes and, you know, I always made a library available in my room that would be for independent reading time. And uh, so where kids could select their own books. Mm-hmm. And I always, like I said, did a three chapter role. You know, if you're not, in, give it three chapters. If you're not into it by three chapters, it's okay to switch. Try another one. <laughs> That's a good there's, rule. There's no, uh, as much as I, you know, love books, Um, you know, they don't always, they don't all speak to us. Right. Um, Let's uh, move on to the next one if that's what needs to be done. This is probably going to sound like a sin, but there was a stage in high school where, I mean, all through high school, I was always reading some kind of book. Whether if it was assigned or not assigned, I was reading. But I had this weird phase for a year or two, and you may find this sickening, I don't know, where I actually read the last chapter first because I wanted to see if I would actually enjoy the ending or not, if it was going to be worth my time. (laughs) So that's funny. I... So I don't go quite that far, but what I do, if I'm going to, I used to spend just like untold hours in a bookstore kind Mm -hmm. of searching through the shelves. And one thing I would do is I would always read, you know, the jacket description. Yep. I would always read the first couple sentences. Yep. And I was always read the last couple sentences, not the whole chapter. I read the whole chapter. (laughs) But just the last couple sentences, which I, yeah, there's definitely people who look at me and they're like, how, wouldn't that ruin? the story or how could you do that but but for me i'm like all right if that makes me want to read more or Mm -hmm. captures my attention um makes me think or it might make me happy i don't even know these characters yet or it might make me sad or whatever um that's yeah i (laughs) i still do that actually i usually read uh the last couple sentences of a book um, so i'm glad i'm not the only one that does read at least like a part of the finishing of a book but for me it was just and i guess It makes sense why. So my favorite time of books was pre-Great Depression. I like F. Scott Fitzgerald. I like um, Ernest Hemingway, John Steinbeck. I really like that more darker, grittier, honestly, more realistic writing. You know, there's not always happy endings. And I kind of enjoyed if I got to the back and it wasn't a cheesy, happy ending. I was like, (laughs) okay, I'm going to read this. I don't like cheesy, happy endings in my chapter books. Yeah, I I don't know about cheesy per se but i do just the I expected go, i can go either way i sometimes i want a book with a happy ending sometimes i want one with a bittersweet ending you know i don't want to give anything away in case by some chance you haven't seen it but uh roman holiday is one of my all-time favorite movies with uh, audrey hepburn and gregory peck and if you haven't seen it i have uh, not you should watch it and for those listening if you have seen it go watch it again <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, one of my all-time favorites. And like I said, I won't give anything away, but I have watched it with people who knew nothing about it. And it's always funny to me at the end when people are kind of, there's always one of two reactions where some people are like, what? (laughs) And then others, I think, take some satisfaction in the way they came to their ending is um, perhaps less than expected. I love endings like that. What was it called? A Roman holiday? Roman holiday. I have to check that out. It's uh, it's quite good. <laughs> Any tips or advice for new authors and illustrators looking to publish books? Uh, yeah. So, you know, like I said, of doing your market research, being open to feedback, 
If you're going to do a submission, following all of the suggestions and guidelines in those submissions, whether it's, you know, to our Bloom Press's submission guidelines or whatever publisher you might be reaching out to, I would say patience a little bit um, is important. <laughs> we get um, a lot of submissions a day. <laughs> and, you know, it sometimes things come up and mm-hmm. we're not always as fast as we would want to be to respond. Um, we try to give feedback back when we respond. So that takes time, you know, so to be patient, to not take things. I know that it's your book and it's very close to you, but to not be so attached to it that yeah. you take it personally if it's not maybe the right fit for this publisher or that publisher. You have you to know, be pop- open to criticism if you want to yeah. be an author. Just because it might not be the best fit for us. It might just be because we already have three books that are covering that in right. our lineup right now. We don't want to add another one. It might not necessarily be a comment on your book not being right for someone somewhere. Mm-hmm. The other thing I would say is what makes something really stand out to me in an, in a submission process is someone who has not only really done their homework and put together a really nice packet of, um, like I said, those comp titles, why their book stands out, but kind of talk about not so much a sales pitch, so to speak, of mm-hmm. like why their bu- book is the best book ever, but something that's a little more personal, a little more thoughtful of why did they want to write this book? Right. What, why did they, what do they like about it? Or what do they see people liking in it? People who can kind of express that, those tend to stand out to me a little bit because I know, well, I shouldn't say I know, but it suggests to me that they are someone who truly has put care and thought mm-hmm. into their submission and not just sort of a um, mass submission where they're sending their book everywhere and right. just maybe haven't put all of that care and attention into it because they've just sort of assumed, oh, yeah, yeah, no one's ever done this book before and off it goes. Right. Taking that time to really, you know, I'm not suggesting that your draft has to be perfect, that we could publish it tomorrow, but you've really kind of taken time to craft your story. Snowballing off of what you just said there. You also have to realize when you're submitting, it's going to be a little little while. You're not going to get a book published immediately. There's a process to it. I mean, Andrea said her book is, what, almost three years in the making now? Uh, Two or three? No, not quite that long. But but yes, it does take a, it is a longer process than I think people realize. So for, I'm just going to go with picture books. Usually in a perfect world, we would be working about two years in advance. So a new submission comes in and we all decide that we want to move forward with it. Um, Yeah, in a perfect setting, we would make the offer about two years before it would actually pub. Right. And that's for lots of reasons. Uh, One is that obviously there are books already in the pipeline, already scheduled. But the other thing is, you know, again, it's unlikely that the book is exactly ready to go and no changes are needed. So there is an editorial process. Um, There is also, even prior to the editorial process, there's the contracts and acquisitions process. Sometimes that can take a little longer as, you know, questions come up and we want to make sure everyone's comfortable and on the same page. Then you have your editorial process and then you have the artwork development, which depending on an illustrator's schedule, you know, you want to make sure they have room to be creative and do their best work. Um, And then you have your production schedule which at a minimum, we currently, um, all of our printing occurs in the US. So usually you're thinking about at a minimum, it's something like eight to 10 weeks from Mm -hmm. book submission to book being ready to ship. And then from there, you need to do pre-publicity. 
So you don't want to just put your book on a shelf and call it a day. Right. You have to do marketing and pre-publicity. That's where you started talking to Amy and I both. Yes. And that's (laughs) where, from just an industry perspective, most of that, you know, magazines, newspapers um, who are going to be talking about your book, they have long lead times. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So sometimes as much as six months in advance, they would want a copy of your book to consider it for review or coverage of some kind. So you back all of that up from, all right, if we want the, a book to come out on such and such a date, well, we got to work at least eight to 10 weeks back for production. And then another, you know, however many months back for Mm -hmm. publicity and so on and so forth. Um, so yeah, you'd like to, to be about two years so that if there is an unexpected delay or I don't know, a pandemic. Yeah. uh, I was going to say, do you think that with the pandemic, with like printing being slowed down um, and all that process, like what we experienced with Baby Monster, do you think some people, you know, it could be even three years now? Yeah, I, I would say things have slowed down to that. It's possible because there's also things to take into account of, um, like I said, production delays. And then there's shipping delays right now of just, mm-hmm. you know, no one has <laughs> not been impacted by all of this right. in some way. It has reached every little nook and cranny of all businesses and and day-to-day life. So yeah, I do think just realistically right now, I think timelines could definitely spread out a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, even just because maybe a topic that we thought was, you know, wow, that's really great. Maybe now isn't the best timing. Um, Just the subject matter doesn't feel right right now or, you know, and going back to the submission process, that's another thing I want to talk about just briefly. Um, The idea of being uh, sensitive and inclusive in Mm -hmm. your writing, um, making sure that there's not something that unintentionally could be misread or hurtful. One of the best ways to protect you from that, just write your story. Mm -hmm. Don't try to be someone else. Right. There is, um, you know, definitely a push right now, as there very much should be called. Well, it started out as we need diverse books, which absolutely we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also kind of moved into um, an even deeper understanding of that, which is called own voices. Right. Meaning, you know, if you're telling a story um, about where your protagonist, your main character is from a, you know, marginalized group, Mm -hmm. um, you too are from that same group. Just because it's, don't, first of all, we don't want to take away opportunity from someone to tell their own story and have their own voice heard. Yep. And then beyond that, if own voice's story means it's a lived experience, Mm -hmm. meaning it's someone who truly understands that culture or that experience and can really then tell authentic and arguably more meaningful version of that story. So that's another thing too, that kind of comes in where, you know, we want to spend time and make sure that stories that come into us, that we've done our due research and diligence to make sure that, you know, it is hitting the right notes, that it isn't needlessly keeping people out Mm -hmm. or hurting someone or, or giving an inaccurate representation of a culture or community. If you have a story, submit it. (laughs) Yes. And then be patient, please. (laughs) Yes. Be patient. (laughs) I love seeing the new submissions, but it does take me a while to get to them all sometimes. (laughs) How many about a day or week do you get right now? Well, I would say it comes in waves, but I would say we get something about of a ground, maybe 
20 to 30 a week, which maybe doesn't sound like that much, but when you're thinking that you, you know, you already are working on books that are in process and right. in very, various stages of development. Um, and then you're reading through maybe 20 or 30 stories a week, which- And you're having to picture the story and like how it could come to fruition right. too. But to give it thoughtful attention yeah. and make sure that, is this a good fit? Is this not? And then because I do try to give feedback and not mm -hmm. just a yay or nay, <laughs> that also takes time. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I do what I can, but um, fortunately, yes, there is sometimes, um, or I, I don't know why I'm saying sometimes, there is often <laughs> a backlog of me trying to get back to submissions. Don't let that uh, stop you from submitting people, especially, you know, you know what Blue Manti Press still needs and uh, something that I have thought of, a good holiday book. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we put, if you do go to our website um, and go to the submission guidelines section, we do have kind of a list of books um, whose genre or content that we are most interested in currently. Mm -hmm. um, and holiday books, uh, they that is one that's up there right now. We are running out of time. Just real quick and brief. What do you hope for the future of Blue Manti Press? Like what's in store? <laughs> yeah. You had a five-year goal or even a 10-year. Yeah, I think continued growth, and and I you know I don't necessarily mean that from a business sense, although that would be nice too. Mm -hmm. um, I'm meaning more <laughs> more opportunities to work with new authors and new illustrators, get debut new voices out there, really expanding the types of stories we're able to tell, and hopefully expanding our our nonprofit reach as well, so we're able to make those books as widely available as possible. So. Yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, I'd love to see us, like I said, kind of grow lots of ways in terms of our, you know, bringing on more and more team members mm -hmm. and and um, creating more specialized departments so we can give different, um, like I said, more dedicated attention to, you know, sub rights, which is a whole other subject that we haven't talked about. But that yeah, <laughs> could be, be like in the next podcast. <laughs> foreign rights and movie rights and all of that, um, you know, which we do touch on, but it's you know, it, it would be nice to have a whole department for that. But right. no, I, what I really mean is I'd really like to see us just really be able to grow in the number of just stories well told we can share. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. Well, thank you very much, Amy. Appreciate having yeah. you on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm just glad I could kind of give a little bit of background about who we are and, and, and who the, you are, because we mentioned you on almost every podcast. Yeah, that's true. I, I tend to get, my name kind of gets sprinkled around. <laughs> <laughs> Always um, in uh, good meanings, you know. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. But just, yes, because uh, we are a smaller team. Yeah. Um, I do have a role in, in pretty much the entire developmental process of a book. <laughs> so, yes, my name definitely comes up. <laughs> and because we're a smaller team, we all just kind of talk about each other without truly thinking that the listener out there doesn't know who we're talking about. Right. <laughs> it's easy to do, but thank you very much. I appreciate it. I, yeah, I would like to have you. you on again and we can talk even more in depth about everything. But you know, I think yeah, there's the publishing world is to me, at least a, a fascinating topic. Yes, it is. I mean, I came into this job having no real experience at all of publishing. There's a lot to learn. There's a lot yeah. to know. It's not as easy as it looks, everybody. It's a, it's definitely a, a nuanced, interesting uh, profession for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye.
Well, there you have it. A very thorough and detailed overview of the entire editing process, from submission to printed book. A couple of key points, specifically for new and aspiring authors and illustrators. If you have a wonderful idea for the next best book, don't be afraid to send us your draft. Not all publishers allow unsolicited submissions, but we do. We welcome your ideas. We give a chance for anyone to become a published author or illustrator. Also, it's important to remember, you won't be a published author overnight. It's a long, time-dedicating process, but the experience is well worth it. But especially with the current pandemic, expect the publishing process to take upwards to two, maybe even three years right now. You've got to be patient. When it comes to learning about the industry, this is by far my favorite episode that I've recorded. Because I'm still new-er here, and I still have a lot to learn about the industry myself, and Amy just explained it all so well. I felt like I learned a lot today. What a wonderful interview. I absolutely love this. And I'm not just saying this all because she's my boss and will be listening to this. Not at all, don't worry. No, but seriously, this was a great podcast to record. I really did learn a lot, and I hope that you did as well. And I also hope you enjoyed our fourth episode of Fresh Off the Press. Can you believe it's been four episodes already? We'll be releasing new episodes to you wherever you like to listen to podcasts, whether if it's Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, or even Stitcher. At our new schedule, the first and third Thursday of every month. Make sure to follow us on those platforms, and hey, give us a like if you enjoyed this episode. Likes help us out a lot with discoverability as a new podcast show. Of course, we encourage you to follow us and connect with us on our social media, such as Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can find us at Blue Manatee Press. New videos as well as podcast uploads are available on our YouTube. Look up Blue Manatee Press on YouTube. Think you have a great children's story idea and want to be a published author? Email us at submissions at bluemanateebooks.com. Maybe you'll be the next New York Times bestseller. Or even better, a future guest on our podcast. Don't forget that Baby Monster, written by Andrea Pfeiffer, is now available. You can order it today from our website or your local independent bookstore. I'm your host, Chase Osborne, and this has been the fourth episode of Fresh Off the Press, presented by Blue Man Press. And I'll see you again soon.